0: First Peter, if you have your Bibles, um, First Peter chapter one. If you got a device, you can go to the ESV version and follow along, First Peter one. Well, we're gonna talk about hope this morning because Peter talks about hope all the way through his letter. Um, One of the things that strikes me about hope is that we can't not live for hope. You're all living for hope today. You've already lived for hope as you were even making your way to church this morning, right? You, at some point, turned on a light switch. There was hope that when you flipped that switch, that light was going to come on, right? You guys had hope that when you pulled up to church this morning, you were gonna hit the brakes on your car and those things were gonna work. That was hope. Last night when you fell asleep, you were hoping that you were going to wake up. And if you're here, that happened. Uh, If you're on the live stream, I don't know where you're at. I don't know if you're awake right now. Um, When you say I love you to somebody, and maybe some of you said that to somebody this morning, a parent, to a kid, to a spouse, when you say I love you, you hope that you're loved in return. When you lean in to hug a friend, what are you doing in that moment but you're hoping that they lean back into you and so these things teach us something about hope and how we define hope on the most basic of levels and how would we define hope but here's a definition that I like is it's a confident expectation of future blessing based on facts and promises let me say that again it's a confident expectation of future blessing based on facts and promises Hebrews 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 1, tells us something about how faith and hope is, is this thing that's sort of infused. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, you, that's, that's kind of a verse you want to read a few times and, and take some time to reflect on it and think about it and pray through it. But really, what it's saying is that faith is believing that the promises we have been given by Christ specifically, will come to pass. And then what hope looks like is that it's living our lives in such a way that what we believe about God is true. And what's so tricky about that and what's so disconcerting about that is that everything we do says something about what we believe about God. Every move that we make is, is sort of a testimony to what we believe we are able to hope about God and believe that his words are true in our lives. So by default, we are people who live in hope. We live for hope. Now, the the dilemma here that the apostle Peter speaks into is not whether we live for hope, but whether the hope we live for is a living hope hope or or an actual hope, a hope rooted securely in absolute surety. So, So not a hope, not just a hope, but a living hope. And what's interesting is that a living hope, it comes loaded with things. It comes loaded with the expectation and the assumption that Trials and hardships, this is what Peter's going to tell us, will be part of the package. In fact, we just read that in our assurance, oddly enough, right? Because the hope that is filled with illusions, if you have a hope on things that are sort of illusory, because that's where your hope is resting to deliver on the promises you're hoping they can fulfill for you, then it's simply a hope. But it's not. A living hope I've probably said this before I'm gonna say it again it's hilarious to me when it starts snowing around here because some of you get this look on your face like someone has to explain to you what this icy substance is as if it hasn't happened exactly like this every year since you've lived in the Northeast So I wasn't, I wasn't born and raised in the Northeast, so I still look at the snow and I go, wow, I go, golly, what is this stuff coming down? And I'm sort of, you know, it's magic to me and I still really love it, but I really find it amazing that some of you are so offended that it's snowing in the winter, right? Like there's some conspiracy out there to make you cold and, and miserable, right? Maybe there is, I don't know. Interestingly, Christmas time more than any other holiday shows how much that our hope is placed in illusions and how we become disillusioned when our illusions dissolve. But the reason why illusions dissolve into disillusion is because they're illusions, right? So we shouldn't suppose that disillusions are bad things and maybe you've experienced some of those this year. You've been disillusioned. Well, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it can be an illuminating thing because what happens is that something is being brought to light instead of just believing something about something or putting your hope on something that is impossibly untrue. Maybe things have been revealed to you to show you that your hope, like Scott said earlier, has been misplaced. Maybe some of you have seen the Christmas movie, A Christmas Story. Maybe you watched it over the last month. If you haven't, it's, it's really simple. It's about a kid named Ralphie who wants a Red Ryder, Red Ryder BB gun for Christmas. So all through December, he drops hints to his parents. But he's just in this perpetual state of panic all the way through the movie because he's afraid that they're not getting the message. They are getting the message. The message is, we hear you, Ralphie. You want a Red Rider BB gun, but the problem is those things are dangerous, and if we get you one of those things, chances are you're gonna shoot your eye out, right? It's classic parent stuff, right? Thinking something's going to happen that can't really ever happen, right? But then Christmas morning arrives, And if you're a kid and just heard me say that, like you're stoked right now. But so Christmas morning arrives and sure enough, there it is, the the red rubber BB gun under the tree. It's everything he hoped for. Everything Ralphie wanted was under that tree. He goes out to shoot it for the first time and what happens? It ricochets off the target and it hits him in the eye. His parents were right. He shot his eye out. It backfired. Why did it backfire? Well, because anything on this earth that we put that much hope in ultimately backfires at some point. So the question for us then is how do we come into this new year's people whose hope we live for is actually a living hope, not a hope, but a living hope. And that's what we're going to explore today in just the first couple verses here in First Peter. A little backdrop for First Peter. He's uh, writing this letter to Greek-speaking Jews who he refers to as exiles, elect exiles. And these were people that were suffering just massive persecution. So Peter is writing a letter to them and he's saying, hey, this is how you live a, a holy and obedient and hopeful life. Um, wall at the same time you're being tested for your faith and I think now more than ever man we really see these themes right now especially when we look back on 2020 whether it's personal suffering maybe some of you have been sick or the suffering of others right now um, man we're we're, we're seeing things unfold that this time last year, we, we weren't expecting. And I think what's happening as well is that we're more acutely aware that there are people suffering um, in the world and not in the faraway world, but people close to our circles. That's happening more and more. Right now, it's just cases of COVID that seem to be spreading in pockets all over the United States. So there's, there's, a, very, um, there's a very close sense of people now in our lives, In our immediate circle that are experiencing suffering or experiencing testing. And all the while we're faced with what to do with this and what to think about this. And like my encouragement has been this whole year, not to politicize this, but to actually be able to walk in the steps of Jesus through this and say, hey, how do we love our neighbor? How do we do that? Right? How do we step down the path that Jesus walks with us as we look at things that are hard to explain um, and we don't have a lot of answers for, but we do know that we can live a life now that is looking towards the better interests of our neighbors like never before. Right? So the apostle Peter writes this letter to suffering Christians, who are experiencing some of the same kinds of things, and he is encouraging them with a particular kind of hope that needs to be an anchor for their life. And this is what it says, I pick up in 1 Peter 1 verse 3, it says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So what we're gonna look at this morning, this is God's word for us this morning, is four reasons why we should hold to this living hope, and the first reason is that it's a hope that comes out of God's mercy, as we see in verse three. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ according to his great mercy, Peter says. And what he's saying there is, according to his great mercy, God decided to save you, right? He's getting ultimate with this whole thing, because the minute we were born, an hourglass was like flipped, on our lives, and the aging process began. And that is irreversible for us. And some of us are feeling that a little more acutely through the years. And we talk about babies being born helpless, and it's true, I mean, these kids literally can't do anything, right? Anything. Scott and Kathy Long just, just had their son, Jameson. This kid has no ability to do anything, am I right? Nor is he required to do anything but eat and sleep and do those things preferably between the hours of 7 p.m. and 6 a.m., if at all possible, right? But when we think of Jameson, we think of kids, babies, it's literally the best this life is ever going to get for them in some ways, right? But the reason why Jameson and our our other babies, the reason why they enjoy this luxurious lifestyle at all, the reason why it's as good as it's ever going to get for them is because of the great mercy that their parents show them in their provision for them. It's always back to a person. And spiritually speaking, what's so interesting is that we're all like Jameson Law until God mercifully helps us in our helplessness. What Peter reminds us here when he says, Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ because according to his great mercy. What Peter's trying to get to here is that we had no hope of growing and maturing or knowing the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ until something happened according to God's great mercy. This gets us to the gospel. This gets us to the good news. When you repent of your sins, when you believe the gospel, which was the charge of Jesus, by the way, it means that God has revealed himself to you. Your eyes are open. The eyes of your heart are opened in such a way that you are now aware of. you you now have a vision to see this undeserved abundance of God's mercy in your life. And mercy means this, mercy means that God is not giving you what you deserve. Mercy means that God is withholding his wrath, which is a really ugly word to talk about two days after Christmas, I understand that. But that's what mercy is, that God is withholding his wrath against you for your sin as a sinner. That's why it's mercy, right? if we didn't deserve punishment for our sin, then there's no reason for God to move mercifully toward us. There would be no reason for God to have great mercy at all. There would be no reason to describe his mercy as anything but great if we didn't need such a great mercy for how great our sin is. In other words, think of it like this if you can. If someone committed a crime against you, and you don't press charges against them, it's because you're showing them mercy, right? You're not giving them what the law requires and what you have the right to condemn them with, right? If a crime hadn't been committed against you, you'd have no occasion to show mercy, right? What's interesting about God is not only does he have this mercy, this abundant mercy, mercy by not giving us what we deserve, but he, but he actually moved toward us. He didn't just have to just gavel in and just slam it down on the desk, but he sent his son, he moves toward us. Our sin was God's occasion to decide to show us his mercy by sending Jesus to receive the punishment we deserve. And again, God didn't just wave his hand and say, you're pardoned, but he moves towards you and he moves towards you today. He moves mercifully toward us today, and a God who would go to lengths that long and lengths that agonizing, it tells us something about the nature of our crime number one and secondly it tells us something about the nature of Christ towards those who committed this crime against God remember in Ephesians 2 where it talks about us living in the passions of our flesh and 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 we're by nature children of wrath Paul tells us until God being rich in mercy he makes us alive in Christ God is moving towards us according to his great mercy and that should cause like something to happen right It's almost like we should have this visceral reaction every time we consider the mercy that God has given us. There's something in us that has a hard time seeing us as being that needy, seeing our sin as being that sinful, that we needed God's great mercy. But what a helpful thing to see ourselves as that unworthy of the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross because then it helps us see how great the mercy of God is. And again, not just someone who said your pardon, but someone who went to the lengths that he did to pardon us. And we should think about that today. We should think about that. Whether you're somebody who's not received the saving mercy of Jesus, or if you're somebody who has and it's grown dull in your heart, pray that God might allow your heart to break for this mercy because according to it, you've been spared. And by the way, if you've been spared, you're spared happily right now, regardless of the year that you've had. It's interesting to think that most everything else we invest in this holiday season will not be incredibly merciful, right? Credit card companies don't tend to be super merciful when you get that bill in January, right? But there's an unending supply of God's mercy for those who Submit their lives to Christ, commit their lives to Christ. The question of course is, has God's mercy been applied to your life account? Because where mercy is absent, God's wrath is present. It's a sobering truth for us. So let that be a plea from me to you. God's mercy is great because you need God's great mercy it's hard to think, it's hard to imagine that every story without Christ has the same ending. What will your story be? That's the question that we ask ourselves. So we hold to a living hope because of God's great mercy. Secondly, we, we hold to a living hope because of God's plan. God's plan in verse three when he says, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So. God not only had great mercy but he had a great plan for his mercy. Does the name Clark Griswold ring a bell to any of you? Some of you may have seen Christmas Vacation over the past few weeks and Chevy Chase, he's a, he's a dude that just wants the perfect Christmas. That's just him. So he does everything in his power to execute his plan and everything goes completely wrong. Now. To be fair, if you were to talk to my wife, she might tell you that I tend to get a little Clark Griswold at Christmas, but she's wrong. Um, I'm actually a little more extreme than Clark in some ways. Um, But man, I just, I, I, I make plans at Christmas. I like everything happening at just the right time. I'm not a guy that celebrates Christmas in like August and I like everything happening at the right time. I like the decorations to be just right. I like to create that Christmassy mood and feeling. You know, I remember that time we got our tree the day before Thanksgiving. Guys, I'm still getting over that one. It's been about five years, but that was a, that's a moment for me, right? Because I'm just, I'm fighting for this plan of Christmas to be executed correctly. But the point is, even with all of my planning, nothing satisfies my expectations, right? I mean, I remember one time coming home after we'd finished decorating the house and seeing the tree just toppled on the floor. Oh, all the ornaments scattered all over the ground, like a lumberjack had secretly come in and just chopped that thing down. I was so mad at Melissa because when I watched her put that thing up earlier, I thought she had like just screwed everything in and it was just secure, right? Turns out it wasn't Melissa. It wasn't a lumberjack. It was our cat. My cat was responsible for destroying my Christmas that year and he's not with us anymore. Um, But our plans, right, the things that we set our hope on, we make plans based on our, on our hopes. But Christian hope, that's what Peter's talking about here. Christian hope is hope in this plan of God that's unfailing. It can't not come to pass. Now, you can say, well, hey, I, I thought God's plan was this for my life and that didn't come to pass. Well, that was your plan for your life. That wasn't God's plan for your life. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope. Our salvation is that dramatic. It's, it's that glorious. It's that gloriously dramatic is the way God created the world. God said the word light, we're told in Genesis, and light just appeared. There was darkness and he caused light. That is us. That is his plan for us. That's what happens to us when we finally come to our senses. Our eyes are open to our sin and we go before the foot of the cross in repentance. God forgives us and we're reborn in an instant. All of the lies, all the wishful thinking that you've staked your existence on, it's instantly replaced by a living, by an undying hope provided by a living undying person. Our hope finds its source in the raising of a dead man named Jesus, which was the plan of God. That's why it's alive. That's why we hold to this hope. We hold to this hope because it holds us. So when we think about God's plan and the way that Peter's laying it out, we can rejoice. We can rejoice in our inability here because it's real, right? Now we just don't got a lot of play in anything. We can't even get cakes to rise. We really don't even get to make vegetables grow. We can barely get ourselves out of bed on cold mornings. Our abilities are, they're like D minus abilities at best. And those are the brilliant people, by the way, like Edison, you know, who went through a thousand attempts before inventing a, like a successful light bulb, right? God merely speaks and death is reversed. Remember what Jesus said to Lazarus? He said, come out. And Lazarus walks out of his tomb. Peter says, you've been reborn to a living hope in the form of a living person who killed death dead. Dead. This is the only plan in our lives that has any hope of not being undone or fading or needing regular maintenance, right? What plan can you or I possibly concoct that will provide you with a greater hope than the one who reversed death? So we hold to this hope, we hold to this plan because it holds us and it changes us. The third reason why we hold to a living hope is because of God's gift. This is God's gift to us in verse four, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you. So the kind of gifts that God gives are different than the kind of gifts we give or have the power to give. Peter says, first off, they're imperishable. And that's good, right? Because we want something that actually lasts. We don't get that with any other gift that we receive, even when they're good gifts. Peter tells us it's an undefiled gift, which is good for us because we want something that hasn't been damaged and won't be damaged. Got a lot of damaged Amazon Prime boxes coming to the house this month. That's different than the gifts God gives. They're undefiled. Thirdly, they're unfading. His gifts are unfading, which is good for us because we want something that doesn't wear out. And every other gift we get is eventually going to wear out and wear down because of usage. And then finally, he says, it's kept. It's kept in heaven for us. This gift, this inheritance of riches that we receive from Christ, which is good for us because we want something that doesn't get lost. Right? So I want a gift that's going to last, that can't be damaged, that doesn't wear out and doesn't get lost. And everything else does. It's funny because as kids, like, we desire those things, right? What your kids wanted for Christmas. And as adults, we just try to design things that can't last. As kids, we desire things that can't last. And Peter's reminding us that there's something more significant in our life that is ours through Christ, And it's God's gift to us. And then finally, this living hope has God's promise as its foundation. In verse 5, who but God's power being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So what Christmas illustrates is this craving we all have for assurances and guarantees Right, we sing about it every week in our liturgy, right? We, we want a guarantee. We want assurance. Tell me that what I'm believing is true. Tell me that the words in that book are true. Tell me that the songs that we're singing, Ronnie, tell me that those are true. Tell me that I can bank everything on that. Tell me that it's not going to fade. Tell me that it's not a fairy tale. Tell me that it's true. I want to know beyond all doubt, that something is going to deliver on its promise. Well, the Christian faith doesn't happen beyond all doubt. But God doesn't also cast us out in our doubts, but he uses our doubts to draw us deeply to him and remind us that his promises are going to hold because they're kept by somebody who can't let them fade, who can't let them drift away, who can't let them break, who can't let them wear out. Have you guys ever had a lifetime guarantee sell you on a product? Like, you want to get a product, you find out it has a lifetime guarantee, you're like, man, that's the one. What's interesting is how inherent it is for us to want things to last a lifetime. Right? Somehow the thought that something might last until we're buried six feet under, it gives us some level of comfort and, and confidence for some reason. But Why does it? Well, why do we want something to last until it doesn't need to last anymore? Well, because eternity, we're told, is written inside all of our hearts. Peter says we find a lifetime guarantee. There is one that's available, but we find it in Christ. Let's turn back to Ecclesiastes, the Old Testament. You're going to make a hard left. You're gonna go all the way back to Proverbs and then you're gonna to wanna to go right till you, till you get to Ecclesiastes chapter three. And look at what, what King Solomon says about God in regard to what we're talking about here with lasting things. Ecclesiastes three verse nine. This is Solomon at his wit's end, at his most depressed at a very reflective time near the end of his life when he's wondering what was the point of everything. I had everything and it didn't deliver on its promises. Verse nine says, what gain has the worker from his toil? I've seen the busyness that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. I perceive that there is nothing better for them than to be joyful and to do good as long as they live. Also that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. And then he says in 14, I perceive that whatever God does endures forever. Nothing can be added to it nor anything taken from it. God has done it so that people fear before him. That which is, already has been. That which is to be, already has been. And God seeks what has been driven away. I wish we had time to unpack that, we don't. But he's saying what Peter is saying, which is that everything that God does endures forever. And even those things that don't make sense to us because we can't see the beginning or the end of them the way God does. God is protecting this investment he made with Christ for your future salvation. Everything else is unguarded. Everything else is up for grabs. Everything else God will do as he sees fit as a good and as a loving God so that your eyes and your heart and your mind will be much more shaped and drawn to the person that your hope should be resting on, who is Jesus Christ. There's no other security for us other than a secure salvation. C.S. Lewis says, if we see this life as satisfaction, it will break us. But if we see it as preparation, it's not so bad. The story of Christmas is that God came to earth so that we could go to heaven to be with God. That's not all it was about, but that's a good portion of it because he wants you to be hopeful Do you think of God in that sense that when God walks with you, when he sees you singing from your sorrow to him through the raging storm, his heart for you is that you would be hopeful. He also understands that our hearts are such that we bend towards putting it in his creation rather than in his son, the creator Christ but nobody wants you to be more hopeful or have an enduring hope the way that Christ wants you to have that hope. And when we have that particular hope, that by the way grows and is sanctified and it becomes bigger and it becomes more true in our lives, it produces some things in us. It produces thankfulness instead of cynicism. That's what the mercy of God does in your life. A living hope also produces humility. That's what God's plan does in your life. Knowing that He has everything under control and you, not so much. It produces generosity in your life. That's what His gifts produce in your life. Because you've been given everything, you don't have to hold on to it so tight. And it produces assurance in your life. That's what His promises do. So you can be thankful and humble and generous and assured because of his mercy, his plan, his gift, and his promise. You know what that does? That turns you from being cynical and entitled and stingy and despairing into somebody who reflects the joyful disposition of Jesus. Can you imagine a church who lived with this kind of hopefulness? Can you imagine us? all leaping out of here like gazelles with this hopefulness today? Man, you'd be so busy in the new year. You'd be so busy just doling it out. Doling this hope out, texting this hope out, emailing this hope out. Just spending it out, speaking it out, giving it out. And you'd live like someone who had nothing to lose because everything has been gained in Christ with the assurance that imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. If your hope is placed on anything perishable, if it's placed on anything defiled or fading, it's a hope, but it's not a living hope. And here's what's really hard about this, is that hope like this requires humility Because what you're doing is you're placing your hope on an unseen object. Though I can't see you, I love you. And that requires us to back away and see those things very clearly in our lives that we keep bending into and that we keep waking up the next morning feeling disillusioned by. Let that disillusion work in your favor this year God is bringing you disillusion because he wants you to see the illusions of hopes that aren't placed on the person he gave you to contain all of your hope and if all of this is true it means that all of your stuff man all of your fears for the new year they take on a different face they now take on the face of Christ So maybe let this assurance today, this present, this future hope, let it loosen the chains of this false hope, this false assurance, this false security that just has bound you or it's just threatening to bind you all the time. Because according to his great mercy, you've been born again to a living hope with a salvation guarded and preserved, a hope assured for a salvation waiting to be revealed. Let's live in it. Let's live it out, this living hope. Amen. One of the tangible ways that we live out this hope is through the Lord's Supper. This is where we proclaim his mercy. We're saying, according to his great mercy, we drink of this cup and eat of the bread. I'm going to invite the band up. But we're proclaiming the mercy and the grace and the hope of Jesus through his death for us. So these elements, they represent something for us as believers. They represent the body and the blood of Jesus. They're they're like a visible sermon to us. They are the gospel in tangible form for us. They proclaim to us this great drama of redemption that we find in the word. This great drama of redemption in Christ. Salvation in the present, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, We're reminded in 1 Corinthians, salvation in the past, you proclaim the Lord's death, and then salvation in the future, Paul reminds us, until he comes. This is what we're saying as we drink the cup and eat the bread. So, in light of a a salvation, a costly salvation such as this, the Apostle Paul, he warns us. He says in 1 Corinthians 11, he said, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner, will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. So this is a particular part when we take of the Lord's Supper where I have to just encourage you, if you're not yet somebody who is is trusted in Jesus for your salvation, we just ask that you would not take of this. This is for those who have placed their trust uh, in Christ. We hope that that's you. We hope that's you this morning. And we're going to pray here in a second. And You'll have an opportunity to receive the mercy and the grace of Jesus so as we pray, we're going to take just a minute to examine ourselves like we're taught in God's word. We're gonna recognize the gravity of our sin as well as the weight of Christ's sacrifice. So let's, let's take a, a minute and bow our heads and, and do that right now, Lord. We recognize the hope that we have because of Christ, Lord, and we repent of our false hopes, our shallow hopes, Lord, we repent of being so easily swayed into believing that there is a hope other than the person and work of Jesus that's somehow going to give us life and satisfaction. We're so easily swayed, Lord. So if there's something in your life right now that you feel you need to confess to the Lord, let's take a few seconds and do that. Some of us are harboring bitterness towards maybe a friend or a family member and we need to confess that to the Lord and have a conversation with that person. Some of us struggle with greed and envy as we've been watching people's Instagram posts during this season, and it's caused things to surface in our hearts, being dissatisfied with what we have and what God's given us. We need to confess that before the Lord. Some of us can think back on some of the things that we've said to others that were unkind or that were not encouraging, that were spoken out of anger or jealousy. Some of us have lacked discernment on social media and in some of the ways that we have exchanged words with others, we need to bring that before the Lord. Lord, this is a happy prayer, because according to your great mercy, we've been given the riches of Christ. So Lord, for those of us who have repented of our sins and are now part of this family of believers, Lord, you're not condemning us, but Lord, you're cleansing us. And so Lord, take these prayers from us. Remind us of your presence as we get ready to symbolically take your take the bread and the cup together and Lord for those who have never experienced the the life that you have offered all who repent of their sins and come to Christ Lord I pray that you would do a work in their heart right now and they would just plead to you very simply and say Lord I recognize that I've been placing my hope in everything but you my my entire life or maybe I thought I had been placing my hope in you and it turns out I was just in an environment where people around me were doing that so much. I felt like I was one of those, but I wasn't. So Lord, would you, would you meet those people today so that they can come into a relationship with you and they can take this cup, eat this bread with joy knowing that their hope has a person that can contain it. Or would you do this work, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, let's take our cup. And the, the first part of it has our bread in it. If you want to peel the label. And we can take and eat this in remembrance that Christ died for us and we can feed on him in our hearts by faith with thanksgiving. Let's take now. And we can peel the other side for our cup. And we can drink this in remembrance that Christ's blood was shed for us. And we can be thankful we have a living hope now. Let's drink together. Lord, thank you for Christ, our hope in life and death. Would you encourage us, Lord, as we enter January 1st? Lord, would you help us to come out of ourselves Um, Would you help us love our brothers and sisters in a dramatic way that puts them before us, that holds to the hope that we find in Jesus, that remembers that we don't know everything that you're up to, regardless of what we see in the media and on social media and all the words and all the the conspiracies and all the stuff, Lord, we, we know so very little but we know what you've told us in your word. And so we hold to your word like desperate people and needy people because that's who we are. But it's a safe place to be for us, Lord. So I pray that we would bend into the goodness and trustworthiness of Jesus as a church today as we enter the new year. Lord, we thank you we get to sing this song about Christ being our hope in life and death because truly we don't know what this year holds for any of us But we know that you hold us and we pray that that encourages us today in Christ's name. Amen.